mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Bibles with me to John chapter 13. We are going to be beginning basically in verse 17 this morning. I just wanted to go back and look at a few things. I felt a little rushed in the last uh, lesson moving forward. If you'll remember with me, we are in the upper room. We are celebrating the final Passover dinner because Christ becomes the Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb, that festival from Exodus 12 that they had celebrated uh, as a people, always looked forward to the day that Christ would come and die as the Passover Lamb, take their place in death. He would pass over them who believed in him. So when we open up the text, and really, like I said, we're going to be beginning in verse 17, but I just want to give you a review. It's an amazing text, and it's a picture of God coming from heaven off the throne room. He stands up. He takes off his prerogative for his deity to be used, and he's led by the Holy Spirit as he obeys he wraps himself in flesh. It's called a towel here. He wraps himself in flesh, and he becomes lower than the lowest servant in the world and washes feet. He washes their flesh. He washes their dirty walk. And it's a picture of him bringing salvation, coming down and washing our souls. And when he's finished, he stands back up again and then is seated on the throne in heaven. I mean, this is, this is just a picture of that, but it's done in the physical so you'll understand the spiritual. Listen to me. And so complete humility, God of the universe, the creator who comes down and takes flesh and becomes like us so that he can walk through and give us a pattern of how to live this life being led by the Holy Spirit and to serve others. And he meets the ultimate pride face to face. First Peter, man, and then Judas, who the devil has entered into, who is betraying him. And so, listen to me. The pattern here that he gives us is a pattern of service, a pattern of humility, a pattern of surrendering our life, our plans, our ways, our desires, and taking up his cross and following him daily and serving others instead of serving self. Serving others instead of serving self. And there is a lot of great stuff. If you missed last week's lesson, go back and look at it. I thought there was some really good stuff that we could see. 
But what happens when God comes to you and wants to wash your feet? What do you say? Here's his word. You've heard his word. You read his word. You see his word. You see the light in your darkness and you say, no, I like my darkness. I like my dirty feet. I like where I'm walking. I like my plans. I like my desires. Or do we say, wow, you've shown your light into my heart, Lord, into my grave. And I'm going to be like Lazarus and I'm going to come forth and let you wash my feet. And I'm going to let your light be a, 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 a light to my feet and a lamp to my path. I'm going to begin to follow your word and let you wash my feet until the day that we're seated together in heavenly places. Now, positionally, you're already there. Practically, we're walking this out. Practically, we should be putting our feet in his hands every day. His power, his strength, his might, according to his word, according to his plans. And we're told at the end of this that the Father sent him. See, because listen to me, I don't know what your plans are in life. I don't know what your desire is. I don't know what floats your boat or, 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 or gets you up in the morning. But God's plan for your life is much better than your plan for your death. See, ours is a plan for a funeral. His is a plan for a celebration of life. He wants us to, to raise in the resurrection. He wants to get us across the finish line. He sees into the spiritual realm. He understands all things and still loves us. He's not, he's not offended by you. Listen, he came to save you. That's the purpose he came. To walk us out. To deliver us out. And if you'll, if you'll remember with me from last week, they, they have this Passover meal going on. And when you would go to that, you would clean up. You would take a city bath. But then when you walked across the town, they had no sanitation department. There was trash. There was sand. And you would enter into that, that place where you was going. The only thing that was still dirty were your feet. They had gotten dirty as you walked through the city streets. And that's what's going on with you and I. He, he speaks to us his word. We believe in him and he washes our soul clean. We're forgiven. He takes our place. But it's where we go with our mind. It's where we go with our plans. It's where we go with our desires. It's where we go with our feet that he needs to wash again. And keep them clean. And every time he washes them, every time you go, here's my feet, they stink. Lord, I'm sorry. I agree with you. He washes them. And what is he doing? It's 1 John 1, 9. If we confess, we're agreeing with him that they're dirty. If we confess, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, positionally, we've been completely cleansed, but practically, we're walking it out. We're learning our identity. We're learning our position. We're learning that he has taken the penalty of sin. We're learning together and reminding one another that he's taken the power of sin. And as we agree, he's removing the pleasure of sin. And as we agree, he's removing the practice of sin and changing our desires and one day he'll remove us from the presence of sin, which is so amazing to think about. Listen to me. Listen to me. It's either 
free will obediently lifting our feet up and putting them in his hand and agreeing with his word, receiving his light into our dark lives, or it's lifting up your hill against him. There's only two places to be. We've talked about this. We're here again. And we're clear of what Jesus says in the word. We're clear of what Jesus says about this because he clearly speaks it to us Let's look at verse. Let's start in 17 where I said, I'm just trying to find it. Somebody wrote all over my Bible. Uh, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now listen. Listen. Just to hear, just to hear and not to do is self-deception. I'm okay. I don't need my feet washed. You're not going to wash my feet, Lord, as Peter said. So it's a pride lifting yourself up against. Now, see, this is the rest of our life. And you can say, uh, if you like, you can say, well, I'll wait till I get closer to death and closer before I ever start letting Jesus wash my feet. But right now I got some plans and I need to work on my 401k. I need to work on my retirement. I need to work on what I'm doing. I need to find me a spouse. I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to do the other thing. You can make up all your plans you want, but listen to me. God's plan for your life even when it hurts, even when it's painful, even when it's suffering, even when there's heartache, is much better than your plans for your funeral. Listen to me. There's a way that seems right in a man's heart, and in its way is death. There's a reason why that's in the Bible twice. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, let a matter be established. And so what we want to do as the church is to hear his voice. To hear his voice and then he knows us already. He knows exactly what he needs to say to us. He knows exactly what we need to go through. He knows exactly what he's doing, where he's leading, the plans he has for us. He knows everything about us and what it takes for us to humble ourselves and come to that place where we stop lifting up our heel against him. But we have to remind ourselves of this daily. In fellowship, we remind each other of this. As we get into the Word of God, we need to remind that, that, that our feet are dirty. We go to the wrong places. We think the wrong thoughts. But, you know, as he keeps training us and you keep, you keep taking these thoughts, well, let's just go there. Let's just go there. This is your whole introduction. Let's go to uh, uh, the, the fight song. I don't know what it's called. It's in... Uh, uh, the fight slogan, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And let's just look at it for a minute. Then we'll come back. We'll read our text. We'll keep moving along. I need you to understand that Jesus is saying, blessed if you do that. You know, James says in 122, be doers and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. And listen, you have to say, Lord, Lord, I hear what you're saying, but I have no capacity to do it. And if you surrender, he'll do it through you. He'll do it for you. As you practice righteousness, it'll become the place you turn 
every time you hit the wrong nail with the hammer. It'll always be the place you turn is back to God's word, back to God's instruction, back to God's ways. And eventually it becomes your heart. It becomes your desires. It becomes your way because he's conforming you into his image and he always does what is right. Well, I feel like doing this, okay? What would God's word say? Be patient. Wait. Now, let me, let me tell you what's going on here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. See, Paul planted a church in Corinth. You know, the, it, it was a horrible city. It was much like America or the city you live in today, full of every type of debauchery. It was full of every type of sin. Had the temple Aphrodite there where a thousand temple prostitutes would come down every night. It was it was in chaos. It was it was and, and he came and planted the church. And then these people came behind him, the Judaizers, and they began to badmouth Paul. And they convinced people that Paul was preaching a different gospel. That Paul wasn't preaching truth. And that Paul had no authority. And that Paul was nobody. And look at his physical stature. And Paul becomes a man that has to defend himself. And he has to write letters back to them and answer their questions. And they began to, to divide up. And we call it sectarianism. And they began to say, well, I'm not listening to Paul. I'm listening to Peter. I'm listening to Apollos. I'm listening to some other voice. And as Paul begins to defend himself, he's actually telling them that it's not about him. It's about the word of God and the authority of God and the ministry and the calling of God that God has given him. And if you're listening to a man and raising up and lifting up a man and looking at a man and saying, I'm of them, none of them died for you. None of them died for you. Only Jesus died for you. And if you don't find the authority in the scriptures by the Spirit of God, you might not even be saved at all. Because it's God who wants to wash your feet. It's God who has come to save. It's the Passover lamb that's dying for us and wants us to put our feet, our walk, our lives, our very souls into his hands. And so he's defending himself about who he is. And he talks about this in a way that the church still desperately needs today. Because we're still fighting a physical battle, following a physical plan, living in our own little worlds and thinking because we said a prayer and we go to church on Sunday, we're okay. But we're looking at nothing in the spiritual realm. We're looking at it as physical. And we're looking to only gain physical things when we need to gain Christ. <coughs> So he says this, and I'm just going to start. Well, let's just start in 10.1. Now, I, Paul, myself, am pleading. He's urging. He's begging with them by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. See that? He's doing it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Those are fruits of the Spirit. Who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent am bold towards you, only because of love. But I beg you, he says it again, he's pleading, I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend, his intentions are to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. What are you thinking today? You know how many people leave the church every day because of flesh? 
and not because of spirit. They leave the church because their flesh is offended. That's supposed to be dead and in the grave. And this is what he's saying is that they're all going and living in the flesh and they're not understanding that it's a spiritual life. We all need a good lesson in this because we all have eyes and we can see what other people are doing, but we need to see what we are doing. So he tells them this, for though we walk, this is how your feet need to be washed. We're walking, though we walk in the flesh, the sarks, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly. Our weapons are not fleshly. Our tools, our armor, the utensils that we use, the Word of God, the Spirit of God, the truth of God, the anointing of God, the calling of God, the gifts of God, they are not from the flesh. They cannot be given by man. They are not given by certificate. They are not given because somebody says, look what they're doing. Our weapons are given by God in an anointing. The Spirit gives the gifts. The Spirit prepares the heart. The Spirit is the one doing the work. It's not flesh. And if you're leaning on the flesh, you're dying. You're following your plans. You're going to be lifting up your hill. You, you will reap what you sow. Listen to me. Listen, this is very clear. It may not look like much today when you choose your plans, your life, your way, your desire, and you plant a seed in a hard heart. It doesn't look like much today. But God is looking at the future in the resurrection of the good, the resurrection of the evil. What is the fruit that's going to grow from the root? And if it's always a fleshly root, always a fleshly seed, always a fleshly war and battle against man then it's going to give birth to fruit that is going to be putrefied and dead. It's going to go into the grave. It's not going to produce fruit of righteousness. It's not going to bear fruit worthy of repentance where we change our mind and begin to follow God's ways in everything. Not in some things. Well, I'm going to church on Sunday. Isn't that enough? No. That's not even the starting line. Believing that Jesus is Lord is the starting line and that God raised him from the dead. Church is just a quipping station. We don't get any brownie points for going to church. We should be coming to look and see what we can give to others and do as Jesus did and wash others' feet. Give with our gifts because it's all him who counted us worthy to be put into the ministry, to be put into the body of Christ. So our utensils, our armor, our weapons, because we are in warfare, our weapons of the warfare, military service, it's not a playground. Listen, the devil has got so many people looking at other people and blaming other people for your life and your decisions. Are you blaming other people for the decisions you make? Do you cross the street and walk on the other side because you see somebody? Because you're still in the flesh? You're still living down here as if we're warring in the flesh and you don't recognize there's an enemy trying to kill you and he's fighting for your thoughts. He's fighting for your desires. He's fighting for your decisions. And you think it's just that moment, just that one person. No, it's training your heart and bearing fruit. And God's looking at the whole life. 
and he wants to get us across the finish line. Oh yeah, positionally we're there. Practically, we're running a race. It's a walk of faith. And the just shall live by faith. If you have been justified by Christ, it's not by sight anymore. Yet everything that we seem to see and do and say in the church today is flesh. Dress codes and music codes and door codes and building codes. That's the world. They have a code. We're being led by the Spirit of God. The standard and the pattern is Jesus. He washes feet. He lays his life down. He gives himself up for others. And he was God. Many of us think we're God. We think we're God of our lives, but we're only God of our funerals. We're only God of our death because our wages are death. But the free gift from God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So for the weapons of our warfare, this is not a playground. It is a battleground. They're not carnal. That's another word for flesh. But they are mighty. They are powerful. They are capable. Listen, this word is used in Matthew 19, 26, the first time when Jesus tells them with men it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. The word possible. They're, they're not, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but all things are possible in God. They're powerful in God. It's a word dynamo or di dynamic. It's the word power. That's where our weapon's at. You don't have anything to fight with in the flesh. And if you have an ability to stand or to fight or to, to serve somebody else or to give yourself away or do anything, it all comes from the power of God. And that's the only way we're going to be washed and cleansed is by His power. His weapons, his warfare. We're in his army. We're soldiers in the army of the living God. And the devil would love us to fight one another, which is another point we're going to see here in a minute. That the greatest battles come from inside the body, not outside. That's the world. God has given us a body to, to be inside and to, 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 to prove the work of the love of the Holy Spirit we're going to see in this text as how we treat one another, how we serve one another, how we help wash one another's feet. Not sectarianism and run around and do what we want to do, but oneness. So our weapons, they're mighty in God. And what are, they, what are they for, Greg? They're pulling down strongholds. They're mighty in God. And they, and they, and they pull down. They're, they're demolishing. They're destructing these strongholds. And by the way, this is not just the first usage, but it's the only usage of this word pulling down strongholds. Actually, it's the word strongholds. And, and what are strongholds, Greg? They're, they're, they're something that's fortified or a castle or a prison or a, let's go back to Lazarus, it's a tomb. It's a sepulcher. It's the place that you're at in the grave. 
The only way to come out of the grave and come forth is to hear the voice of God, to hear the Word of God, but not just to hear it and then go, oh, I heard God's voice, but to learn to obey it one day at a time, one step at a time. And part of obeying the voice of God, who already knows us and we're trying to follow, is confessing when we're not. Confessing when we've been duped into following the world, living in the world, chasing what the world is chasing, doing what flesh is doing, which is always going to end in death. So, God is able to reach into our darkness and pull down strongholds to the destruction of strongholds. It's possible in God's power and God's might. Listen to me. Anything that you are seeking in the flesh other than God's will in the spirit can become a stronghold. Anything. I, I say it all the time. You know, the word, the Bible says clearly that uh, um, the drunkard will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, the word for drunkard is methane. And so we take it in our culture, we make it fleshly, and we say, yeah, I can drink one, but I can't drink a bunch. No, to be habitually intoxicated is what it means. And it doesn't mean just with liquor. You can be habitually intoxicated with anything of the flesh, and it becomes a stronghold. Well, how does it become a stronghold? First of all, my feet are not in Jesus' hands, so he can wash them. And so what the devil does is he lies to you in that hard heart that you keep lifting up, and it's a seed bed where he plants a little seed of doubt like he did with Eve, and it's a toehold, and then it becomes a foothold. And then you keep practicing it or doing it or ignoring the light that's being given through the Word of God, and it becomes a stronghold. And then pretty soon, that stronghold, you're lifting up your heel against God and saying, I don't like God's plan. And this is 2023, and they just didn't understand the Word of God back then. And my teachers don't even know what they're talking about. And the Word of God is, is real, but we can't just live. we got to do practical things. We can't be living in the Scriptures. And we start making up all kinds of nonsense. And what we do is we go after what? We go after what Judas went after, his own plans his own heart, his own desires, his own ways, instead of the perfect plan of God for life, that he sent his son to walk out in front of us and give us a pattern, give us an example. And he promises that he'll put his spirit in us as a, as a guide, as a teacher, to lead us out of this world if we'll just listen. So what's your stronghold today? What is it that you've chased and chased and chased? Listen, it, it, it's not just that we're going to see when Judas gets up and leaves and it's dark, it's night. It's as evil as it could ever be for eternity for him. Listen to me. That didn't happen in the upper room. Kids, youth, people, don't make your plans to, to, to resist the opposite sex when you're in the back seat of the car groping. I use that one because it's a good one. 
Listen, your heart already has to be confirmed and desires have to already be planted. And you have to already know that you want to be pleasing to God by faith long before the attack comes. Judas didn't rebel against God in the upper room while he handed him a piece of bread. He had been planning it his entire time. He had been listening to the devil. And he stayed and hung on to his life. He hung on to his plans. He hung on to his ways. He hung on to the things that he thought were right. That were lies. They were his grave. They were his funeral. They were the place that he had been living. And he was supposed to be changing his mind. And allowing God to change his desire. So that when the temptation came. He could say no. That's a stronghold. That's a place that's a lie. That's not God. That's not the word of God. That's not where I'm going. I'm here to save souls. And only to be a witness. A reflection of Christ to others. Because if we keep hanging on. To the old man, believe me, you'll bear fruits of death. I'm not telling you you get kicked out of heaven. None were lost except for the son of perdition. I mean, in fact, many times we have to find out whether we front-slidden before we can find out whether we backslidden. Most of the church has not front-slidden, much less backslidden. I'm not being mean. I'm not talking about God's ecclesia. I'm talking about the culturanity where people think because they said one prayer, they front slid and they're in home and they haven't even made it back yet because they haven't repented of their sin. Oh, I believe. Have you repented of your sin? Have you confessed that it's wrong? Do you see that it's leading to death and that there's only one way out of this grave? And that's the truth of God. And the enemy is planting landmines of lies. And if you don't learn the truth and learn to articulate and hear his voice, you'll be following your voice or the world's voice or the devil's voice. Listen, it's easy to hear my voice. It don't line up with the word of God. It's easy to hear the word's voice or the world's voice. It don't line up with the word of God. It's easy to hear Satan's voice. It don't line up with the Word of God. But listen, what it does line up with, our flesh. And we love it. Our flesh likes what the world has to sell, and the devil and ourself. And self-deception is the worst tool, because we'll say, it's okay. It's fine. But we don't understand that we are preparing our hearts for the greater temptation James talks about. Let's just continue. We'll go look at James in a minute. But listen to me. We need to turn to God and His Word and learn to hear His voice and know His voice that shines in our darkness and convicts us and leads us away from and gives us the ability to repent and turn from the other voices. Eve didn't do that. The second Adam gives us the ability to do that. Free will. What fruit are we growing? Once again, it's not to destroy us. Oh, the enemy came to rob, kill, and destroy us. But God's word is not to destroy us. It's to lead us out and onward and upward into Christ Jesus. To conform us into his image. It's good for us. Even when it hurts. Even when it takes saying no, no, no. 
It's better to articulate and train your heart to choose light and life in his way than to train your heart thinking it's okay to be doing the death and it's not going to hurt me later. When it's full blown, it always brings forth sin. Well, I will get there eventually with James. You guys can read James. Oh, camel knees. Camel knees was pretty amazing that he would pray so much. I would encourage you to pray. And if you're praying, the Holy Spirit would encourage you to get into the Word of God. And if you're in the Word of God, the Holy Spirit would encourage you to be in fellowship with other people of God, not with the world that's lying to you. So, pulling down strongholds. You got any strongholds? What else does it do, Greg? Our weapons do, Greg. They cast down arguments, or not arguments, what is it? Imaginations. Logismize, or logismus. It's, it's, it's your conscience that reasons and tries to, 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 to say, oh, well, I can get through this and I can do this and this is okay. I said a prayer once, so all things are lawful, but they're not all profitable. But I can get through this and I'll just ask for forgiveness on the other side. Put your feet in Jesus' hand and let him wash them. And then have a desire to help wash other people's feet. So it's casting down, and it means to lower with violence, casting down imaginations or arguments, reasoning or thoughts. It can actually mean your conscience. And every high thing, elevated places, every high thing, elevated places, Anybody read the Old Testament and all the high places, all the elevated places, all the places of pride and arrogance and idols in the Old Testament? They're in our hearts when we ignore the Word of God, when we ignore the weapons of our warfare, when we ignore that we're called to surrender. Paul was defending his authority here in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, but he's really defending God's authority because God called him. Casting down imaginations, casting down uh, uh, arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself, here it is, lifts itself up. Why is that important to us guys and gals? This is what Judas does to Jesus it's, the, the, it's in John 13, 18, our next verse. I haven't got there yet. We're going to read it when we get back to our text. It, when Jesus quotes Psalms 48, I think it is. Is that what it is, Psalms 48? I lost my place in my Bible. He quotes my own familiar friend who's eaten bread with me, lifted up his hill against me. This is it. It's exalted itself. It's an elevated place that exalts itself and lifts up its heel in pride against the plans, the ways, the purposes of God, the work of God. I find the most amazing as we go through this text is that Judas received the physical. He received the physical bread. 
He received the money bag and carried it around. He received the 30 pieces of silver, which later he, with worldly sorrow, threw it back at their feet. But silver is a picture of redemption. Why wasn't it gold? Don't we really want gold? See, silver is a picture of salvation. Bronze and brass is judgment. Silver is salvation. And many people, they want salvation, but their heart and their plans and their ways and their feet are still running for the physical, and they're chasing mammon. They're chasing silver instead of living out their salvation that God has given them according to God's plan, according to God's ways. And they're deceived into following these imaginations. They're deceived into living in these high places of pride and say, it's okay, I already said a prayer. I already believe in Jesus. I don't have to do this or that or the other thing. No, you don't have to. You get to. And you need to choose to so that it changes your desires. It changes your mind. It changes your path. It changes the seedbed of a hard heart into soft, fertile ground that receives more truth later so you can keep growing. Because if you don't and you harden your heart, you quench the spirit and you say, I'm okay where I'm at with my plans. Then the spirit's quenched and you can't receive any more word of God. You can't receive any more seed from God because it falls on stony ground and it can't take root and grow any fruit other than death. And that's why it's so important to ask God where I'm at in this. How am I doing in this? Where am I resisting you at? I'm not talking about sin. Listen, I know you guys are up there going, he's talking about my sin. I know I blew it. No, I'm talking about a rebellious heart that would lift up their walk in their life against God. Sin was taken care of in the sacrifice. It's the heart, the seedbed where the word is planted that we're talking about. All your sin is paid for. And it will be dealt with completely if the heart surrenders to the work of God and begins to walk and follow God and softens and quits saying, I'm okay, I did a little bit, my plan will work, I'll just ease into it. No, it's a complete surrender, a complete death to self, a complete denial where you deny self, take up your cross daily and follow Him. And it's a complete heart that says, I want to obey God. So that when the big battle comes, there'll be no question, I'll already be ready. When the big question comes, when the sea, the open sea is what it's called, the temptation, James says, when that temptation comes, I can be approved and receive the crown of life. Let no one be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever we sow, we shall also reap. And if we sow to the wind, we reap the whirlwind. What is being sown in your life? What are the plans? Is it God's plan? Is it the plan to go out and be a martyrio, a witness, one who gives testimony to Jesus so that other people can come to salvation? Or are we allowing strongholds, listening to imaginations, agreeing with high places, and everything that exalts itself against what? The knowledge of God. See, that's how we grow is in the knowledge of God. This is gnosis, not gnosko. 
This is Gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S. It means a general act, your act, your actions by the Holy Spirit, a knowing. It's interesting that it means science. See, because it's the false science that the enemy wants to bring and get us to believe. And you will believe it if you don't begin to listen to the true science, the true knowing. You'll believe all of the arguments and imaginations and speculations and all those things that are lifted up instead of believing the knowledge of God. Because that's what the attack is on. The knowing of God and what he's done, what he's doing, what he's going to do. See, our sin isn't our problem anymore. It's our will. It's our choices. Oh, it'll be okay if I do this once. It'll be okay if I go that way and don't go this way. It'll be okay. But you prepare a seedbed of a heart that eventually just stays going that way. It just stays moving in that direction, into the grave, into the darkness, away from God. Oh, let's look. First usage on this word gnosis, this word science, the general act of living and knowing God, Luke 177. Let's look and see what it is. Matthew, Mark, Luke 1. Ooh, it's got to be good. Remember, it's the, it's, it's the actual true birth of Jesus and what follows afterwards. What did I say, 177? Oh, my goodness. That's good stuff there. This is Zacharias prophesying when shut up's taken off of his mouth and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And he talks about what John the Baptist was going to do in 177 to give gnosis, to give knowledge, to give science of salvation, deliverance from the sin nature to his people. How? By the remission of their sins. The removal by the Messiah. That's pretty amazing. That's first usage. We need to know that because that's the attack. The attack is on that. The exaltation is on that. The lifting of the hill is against that. The battle is against knowing that your sins have been forgiven in Christ. And all you have to do is repent. Metanoia. Agree receive, believe, and then have a constancy in that so that your heart is softened and you don't lift up your hill against God later in life because your heart is being prepared now to receive with meekness the implanted word for the saving of the soul. But we must be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving ourselves. Oh, I'm just adding some more pride in my plans and my ways and some of this over here and I need some of this and some of this and yeah, I go to church on Sunday but I need some of this and I need some of that and I need some of this world and I need a little bit of this. And it's nothing but death poured out on top of your life that Christ has already given you. It's raising itself up against. It's pride so what do we do? He says this here in 2 Corinthians 10, 5b, bringing, what are you bringing? Every thought, see the word of God knows your thoughts and intents. 
into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Well, I don't have to obey. I already said a prayer. To the obedience of Christ. Go and teach them to obey, he tells us in the Great Commission. Because it prepares your heart. When you're disobedient, it hardens your heart. It grieves the spirit. When you're obedient to the truth you already know, it softens your heart. It makes you a better witness. It conforms you to the image. It allows your feet to be washed in the hands of Jesus. Bringing every thought. Yes, daily the thoughts. You have to take them captive because the enemy lies to you. And he raises up imaginations and false science. And you know, it's really easy. It's really easy when a Christian goes, well, come on. Everybody knows that God made a male and female. That's an easy one. And yet most Christians still are not getting that one. So think how hard it is when you get down to some smaller decisions in your life about job choices and boss choices and how I'm going to treat other people and am I going to wash their feet and am I going to be a servant to them or wait a minute, my title is that I'm the boss. I don't have to be the example. I call the shots. Really? What about the God of the universe who come down and humbled himself and became lower than the lowest servant and washed their dirty feet? And he's our pattern. He's our example. See, because we begin to make our own plan in our own way, and it leads to death. But we don't understand that it's really changing our heart in the way that we receive the seed of the truth of the word of God. Because the pain and the suffering and the heartache tills the ground. The fallow ground gets broken up. And, and it's either being softened or it's being hardened. You have to take the thoughts captive. Sometimes they come in a bunch. Boom, 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 boom. The fiery darts of the wicked one. He throws thoughts into your head. He can't read your mind, but he knows your nature. He's the one that birthed it in you. And he can throw those darts and throw those darts. And he knows your patterns. He knows the sin nature. Do you know the voice of God? He knows the sin nature. Do you know your bents and your sin nature? Do you know what gets you started? It certainly is not the Spirit of God. It certainly not is the Word of God. It's certainly not fellowship with God. It's certainly not prayer. Those are not the things that get you started chasing death. And so when we're about the Father's business of the reconciliation of souls, we're not going to be about the business of listening to the devil's lies because sin is good for a season. It feels good for a season. We take them captive. What's that mean? Subject to? Subject to what? To light. Take your thoughts captive and subject them to light and life and truth and to Christ. Are these obedient to Christ? Obedience means this. Listen to me. It's the opposite of 122 that James says. Obedience means attentive hearkening. Attentive hearkening. It means to do. It means to obey. It means to follow, not to be hearers only and deceive ourselves. That's how we take thoughts captive. That's how we put them out in the light. 
darkness vanquished by light. Flip on the switch of truth and the room is no longer dark. Same thing with the heart. Same thing with the grave. First usage, oh, I'm sorry, we haven't even read the text and prayed yet. This was your introduction. I'm sorry, Romans 1.5 was the first usage of this. It's very important, I want to get to this. This is what the message that God put on my heart. Wasn't the message he put on my heart yesterday, he put on my heart this morning. Yesterday was my plan. Today is his, I hope. One five, listen. First usage of obedience, attentive hearkening. Or I'm looking for it still. I can't see it. Somebody wrote in my Bible. Through him, through Christ, we have received. Have you received it? Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense, and apostleship sent forth the Great Commission for what? Attentive hearkening. For obedience to what, Greg? The faith. That's the overall scheme of the gospel, God's plan, not our plan, among all nations for what? For his name. According to his character, his nature, his will, his authority. Among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. That's everybody else. Listen to me. We also are that same. We are is always who the body of Christ is. You are is who you are. We are are all been given an, an apostleship sent forth. And we've received grace. For what, Greg? For obedience. We're supposed to have a heart to want to go obey. Come to our senses. Oh, we'll stumble, we'll fall, but we're not supposed to. We don't have to. It's not the plan of God. He's written these things, 16, one of John, we'll get to eventually, so that we wouldn't stumble. Because if we're being led by the Spirit of God, which the children of God do, you'll never stumble. The, the Holy Spirit will never lead you to stumble. He'll let you run with an even gait, with endurance. Run a race to win. And what are we supposed to be doing while we're running and looking to obey? Our heart is turned toward home and we're obeying Christ. Look what he says in verse 6. Number of man. Being ready. You're always ready to do what, Greg? Punish. To have revenge is what it says in the King James. To protect your heart. To punish all disobedience. Well, how am I punishing it when your obedience is fulfilled? You're putting it in the grave. You're calling it what it is. Sin is sin. It's disobedience. It needs to be punished with light. Subject to light. And of course, disobedience there means inattentiveness, not attentive hearkening, but inattentive, inattentiveness or hearing amiss. You hear it, but not to hear it to follow. You hear it because I feel like I was pious and I did what I was supposed to do. 
but I wasn't listening to it in order to grow, to go, to learn when your obedience is fulfilled or accomplished, fully furnished is what the word means. Again, he goes into seven. Do you look at things according to the outward appearance? Listen, he's questioning it again because it's not about the outer appearance. I'm not even going to go into the rest of it. You can read the rest of it as homework if you'd like. The question is, though, do we have a desire to turn our hearts toward home and prepare our heart to receive with meekness the implanted word? Or do we just hear it so that we can go, man, I'm really messing up. I've been really blowing it. No, put your feet back. Put your walk back. Put your life back in Jesus' hand. He already paid for all your sin. He wants to continue to sanctify and cleanse you, to teach you to be like him, a humble servant that would lay his life down for one another or another instead of following your plan because now we're going to go back to our text. We're going to arrive back in John chapter 13. And we're going to see what happens with somebody who continues with his plans. Because see, Judas has still got his plans. And Jesus is still handing bread to him. He's still reaching out a hand of fellowship. He's not mad at him. He wants all to come to repentance. But it's a free will choice because he wants free will agents that will freely choose to be in fellowship with him. He's not going to force it upon him even though he chose him and he has him in the upper room with all the other guys. He even gave him the same opportunities. He sent him out with all the twos. But the whole time he was going out, the whole time he was doing, the whole time, he still hung on to his life. He hung on to his plans. He hung on to his ways in case this Messiah doesn't work. He doesn't do what I want to do. Listen, your plans are a funeral. God's plans are eternal life in Christ Jesus. His plans, I guarantee you, are better than yours. Yet we hang on. That word is logos, by the way. Plan. Yours is not logos. His is logos. It's the plan the Father sent Jesus with. Where was we at? We're in John chapter 13. We read verse 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. One of your versions might say happy. You might have joy. It might give you joy if you do the will of God. There's no greater joy than to know you're hearing the voice of God. He knows you. You know him. You're in a relationship that's you're betrothed to him. And you're preparing your life for the wedding supper of the Lamb. In fact, James uses this same thing in chapter 1. We might get there soon. What I'm going to do now is read 18 through 30 and then we'll pray and we'll finish our text and get to go have some fellowship I do not speak concerning all of you I know whom I have chosen but that the scripture may be fulfilled it will all be fulfilled he who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass you may believe that I am you can cross out he 
Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in his spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about what he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him and asked who it was whom he spoke. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus had said to him, Buy those things we need for the feast, and that he should <coughs> excuse me, give something to the poor. Having received a piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would pour out your spirit upon us and shine your light into our darkness. And that as we go out from here today to fellowship, we would know that it's not dark in our life because of your light. That we're following your light, your word, your truth, being led by your spirit. That you would help us to understand your word and to prepare our heart for your word and not to lift up our heel against you when you desire fellowship and life for us. Teach us to humble ourselves in your sight that you can lift us up. In Jesus' name, amen. God wants to lift up his bride, to lift up his children. He doesn't want his children and his bride lifting up their heel against him. He's here to, to give us life and that more abundantly to remove the darkness and to remove the death, to remove the despair. And his plan for your life is better than your plan. Your plan is leading to death. His is leading to life. And if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And he says in 18, notice it was 6, 7, and 8. But there's just a 10, a perfect completion added to him. I do not speak concerning all of you, because God knows all things. I know whom I have chosen. He knows those who he's chosen. He know, And listen, it, this is never used without foreknowledge involved. God knows all decisions that we ever made. He is not determining them for you. He is not forcing them upon you. He is not making Judas betray him. He just knew that Judas would never soften his heart and receive life. So he just wrote it into the fabric and used all things for good for those who love him. If he was knowing that he was forcing him, he would never offer him the bread of fellowship here. He would never be calling it the fulfillment of scripture. He just knew what was going to happen. He knows the decisions you're going to make. But he's not determining them. You will choose those decisions yourself. You've been given free will. And every person that goes to hell, 
will have chosen hell. And every person that goes into life will have chosen Christ because he's the only life. There's salvation in no other name. The question is today, will you hang on to your plans, your ways, your life, or will you lay it down? See, because he's doing it here. He's given in exchange for your life, his life. He's doing it here. He's washing your feet, my feet, in exchange because we can't. We can't clean up our lives and come to God. That's religion. But he's making a perfect exchange at the cross. But you can't say, I believe in that exchange, and I believe that Jesus is Lord, and God raised him from the dead, and I believe that he paid for all my sins, and then get up from the cross with your life and walk away and chase your own plans. Because then you've essentially, with your act, said, I'm not going to listen. I'm going to lift up my heel against your plan, God, for my life. He knows. And but that the scripture may be fulfilled, plurero, furnished completely, because all things that he's spoken is going to happen. Look what he says as he quotes Psalms 41 9. As I misquoted earlier, it was Psalms 48. It's really 41 9. You can read that in your homework because when a uh, a, a teacher or a master which quotes scripture he was literally talking about the entire context but we are not going there he who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me that's the scripture that's being fulfilled they're having fellowship they're having a meal they don't have silverware they both are using their hands their power their strength to eat the same food and it was only done with close, intimate friends. And why is he telling us about the Scripture? Why would he tell us anything in Scripture? Why would anything be written in Scripture? So that we will know and believe beforehand. The whole book of John is written for this purpose, that we might believe in Christ. And he tells us why Scripture is written, why he would inform us, why he would tell his children what's going on. Now I tell you before it comes, listen, before you lift up your heel, before you harden your heart, before you choose your plans, he's telling you now what the result will be. Where does your feet, your plans, your life, it needs to be crucified with Christ. That when it does come to pass, because it will come to pass, you may believe that I am. He is in italics. It's not in the text. For some reason, translators thought that we should say that. You don't need it. It's the ego of me. It's Exodus 3.14, the great I am, the self-existing one. He's claiming to be God. And he wants you to know that he knows everything, past, present, and future. He knows every decision you and I will ever make. He still loves us. He still died for us. But he wants us to follow his plan be led by his spirit and become his martyreos, his witnesses. And when we don't, guess what? It breaks his heart. Or he's troubled in spirit is what the next uh, text will tell us in verse 21. Because he knows what Judas is going to do still. Listen, it's only put in his heart right now. Only in the seedbed to betray. 
the same way with Eve. It was put in the heart. She hasn't done it yet. Being tempted is not the sin. Allowing it to stay in your heart and entertaining it and playing with it and, and, and thinking about it and planning on it instead of taking it captive to the obedience of Christ and casting it out. See, that's obedience of Christ. That's becoming a doer and not a hearer. When you know it doesn't line up with truth, when you know that the silver is not what we should be chasing, when we know that our plans are leading to the grave and not out of the grave, we have to take those thoughts captive and say, no, that's death, that's not spirit, that's flesh, that's not me anymore because I'm not to regard anything as flesh and blood anymore. I know that this is a battleground for my soul not a playground for my flesh to have fun and me to get the most toys and win because he who gets the most toys loses. Listen to me. You stay in your grave and what will a man give in exchange for his own soul? How sad this must make the heart of God when he gave his most prized possession to die on a cross so that all could come to repentance and most will not, according to Matthew 7. Few will find it. Few will choose it. Most will not. The Broadway, the entertainment way, the flesh way, the Hollywood way, the Broadway is wide and many go thereby and choose it. In like manner, he's still telling us today. Are you listening for his voice? Are you following him? He's warning us today about what's going to happen tomorrow because we're going to reap what we're going to sow. Whatever you're sowing, you're going to reap. Listen to me. Natural law. The world is under the sway of the wicked one and they are sowing death. Sowing death. That's all they're sowing is death. What are you sowing today? Are you allowing God to wash your feet? We were reading in First Chronicles. Me and Michael was talking about this, how amazing the Father turns everything over. He prepared all the plans for the temple, but then because there was blood on his hands, He wasn't allowed to build the temple. And so his son, Solomon, which means peace, built the temple. But listen to this in 1 Chronicles 28.9. As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind for the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. You know, and in the New Testament, we would be told, and I think it's 524 of 1 Thessalonians, Faithful is he who called you, and he will also do it. 
So the plan is laid out by the Father, but we have to do it according to the plan. You can't come up with your own religion. You can't come up with your own way. You can't follow God according to your understanding. You have to follow him according to the Spirit of God who leads you. And now you've become that sanctuary. You've become that holy house. We are the living stones that are being chipped away at and fitted together. A holy house, a royal priesthood, a holy nation that God has always wanted. The question is, are we even desiring to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? A loyal heart with our mind. Listen, are we even desiring to do what he's doing? Or do we just desire to be religious? Think about it. It's very difficult. It's not condemning. It's, it's called introspection. It's what's the Holy Spirit saying to me? What am I following today? Am I following God's plan of salvation where I become a doer and not a hearer only? Am I following God's plan of salvation where I put my feet, my walk, my life completely in his hands because he's already washed my whole body. Now he wants to sanctify and cleanse me and send me out to follow his pattern so other people will come to salvation. Or... Am I okay just with saying a prayer and I think I'm going to get across the finish line that way? Listen, we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling. The spirit of Antichrist has went out to deceive the elect and if you're listening to any other voice, the whole world's already to sway the wicked one. And it's not God's desire that any would perish but all would come to repentance. But we must change our mind. And stop following our own plans. Stop planning our own funeral. And start living this life that God has given us. It's going to take some work. Not work for it. Work because of it. Work to keep from listening to the liars. So we need to be doers, not hearers only. So are you hearing his word and following his plan? Or are you sitting at his table eating his word and still following your own plan? Listen to me. This is what Judas is doing. He knows full well. Think about it. You would think, now I don't know about you, but you would think that God's people would hear the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You would think that God's people, when he just said this out loud, that Judas sitting there, guess what? He's in the seat of honor. He's in the seat of honor, according to most people, most historians. I can't prove that I wasn't there. But you are in the seat of honor. And you're going to see John transition to that. And he's going to not even use his name. He's going to say the one Jesus loved. Because he knows he's in the seat of honor. Each of us in the presence of God should know that if we were the only one, he loved us that much that he would die just to save one. He leaves the 99 and goes after the one. Now that's not a plan you should be doing. Protect the 99. Reach out to the one maybe. 
But when the one decides free will that he don't want to follow anymore, you don't have to chase him down. We're talking about in a spiritual realm and God's saving. You're not saving anybody. You're supposed to be a witness of the one who does save. We don't save anybody. Listen to me. You would think when the word of God was spoken and then Jesus said in the room, listen, there's only 13 of them in the whole room. 12 disciples in him. We know there's nobody else or it would have been a servant to wash feet, but Jesus took that place. Listen. Shouldn't Judas have said, wow, he's talking about me. He knows my plans. See, because this is the whole point of the text right here. Is that God's word is talking about us and he knows our plans for death. And he's like, no, don't do that. I love you. I died for you. I want you to follow my plan so I can lead you out of the grave. Judas should have heard those words and says, how does he know what I'm getting ready to get up and go do? Because he's God. He knows all things. Listen, there's no wisdom or counsel against the Lord. And yet we, as his people, we still make those crazy plans in our heart. Well, not you guys, people in Texas and me. We still make our plans. And we don't just make them. See, the devil puts it in his heart, verse 2. The devil, having already put it in the heart of Judas to betray him, he hasn't done it yet. He hasn't got up and left yet. He's got one last chance of fellowship. He's going to hand him the sop of bread. Which is what they would do to the guest of honor when you were invited to a banquet. They'd take the sop and hand it in honor, in order of who you were. He was also seated in that order of importance also. So when the word of God, the bread of life is spoken and you hear the word of God, that's God reaching a sop of bread to you for fellowship, to grow, to become more of his bride, to go and not to keep following your own plans that lead back into darkness but to come out into his marvelous light. Be a witness of his marvelous light because you're supping with God at his table because we're no longer in the grave. I know that was chapter 12. They're all sitting at the table fellowshipping and I once was rebellious, but now I'm accepting it. Wash my feet. Lead me out. Take me on to your house. Verse 14, or chapter 14. Help me to bear fruit, 15. Help me to stop stumbling, 16. Pray for me, 17. 18 and 19, why? Because you're going to the cross. 20, he breathes life, and in 21, he restores fully. Listen to me. Are you being led by the Spirit of God today or by your plans? Oh, it's good enough. I said a prayer. I remember when I did it. I got the date even. I heard some apostate teachers say, if you don't know the date, you're probably not saved. Listen, if you don't know what today is, you're not saved. Today is the day for salvation. Doesn't matter what you did yesterday. What did you do today? Today, start following. Eat the sop. Today, you're still alive. You don't have to live in yesterday. Because he'll forgive it if you change your mind today and agree with him and put your life in his hand. What you did 20 years ago, 25 years ago, means nothing 
if you're following your own plan today, it's all going to burn up. Believe me, it's going to burn up. That's what the devil does. He joins the church. Listen, the biggest damage, notice this, they didn't rush in from the outside. The soldiers didn't come and attack the upper room, their place of intimacy and fellowship, as they celebrated the Passover. The soldiers didn't crash in and go, we got you now. Yet we're always pointing to the outside world like they're the enemy and they're the ones going to kill us. The government ain't killing us. We kill ourselves from the inside because we lift up our heel against the Word of God. And we don't do the will of God. We're killing ourselves in the church. We let people stay in the pulpits that are liars and deceivers. And we go to their churches instead of going to a church that's teaching the truth. I'm not talking about running over there and kicking them out of the pulpit. I'm talking about flipping your chairs over and dusting the feet and getting out of their church. They wouldn't have a mega church by preaching fluff and lies if people didn't sit there and like it and keep coming back. I'm not talking about any type of insurrection or meanness. Just stop going to a church that won't teach the spiritual truth of the scriptures. And they want to teach something that tickles your ears, has a form of godliness and no power, and leads you straight to hell. And your feet are dirty, your life is dirty, your soul is dirty, and it's being discarded by the devil because it's being destroyed by Judas's from the inside out. The government can't do nothing to us. It's not my home. My citizenship is in heaven. My king allows them to play their games. But he's never going to allow him to do anything to me that I don't need to get me across the finish line. You can trust him. Easy to preach about, hard to do. I'll just add that in there for you so that you don't think I've arrived anywhere. Listen to me. It's coming to pass, everything. But you still have these Judases yelling that we're bringing revival. We're going to turn this country around. It's all going to get good. That's not what the Word of God says. The Word of God says perilous times in the church. Perilous. In peril. It actually means a reduction of strength because we walk away from the Word of God, the will of God, the ways of God the plan of God, and we do our own little plans to save souls the same way the nation of Israel did, and they crucified the Messiah standing in front of them and chose Barabbas, son of the father of all lies. Now, Barabbas didn't have to stay there. In fact, there's, there's many people that say he got saved when he realized that in actuality Jesus took his place. In the physical, he took his place. I don't know that. Can't confirm that. Seen a movie about that. Would make perfect sense, though, if you were Barabbas and somebody took your place. So he's telling you about it before it comes to pass that you may believe that he is 
the Messiah, that he is God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. And then verse 20, he says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me. Listen, he's still sending people today. But they have the Spirit of God, and they're talking about the Word of God, and they're not trying to be rock stars for God. And I'm not picking on people that play rock music. I'm talking about people that want to lift up their hill and lift up their life and think it's about them instead of them being dead men walking. Because there's nothing good that dwells in us, and we all are placed and confined at the same place. None righteous, no, not one. And then God gives us life, and then he begins to give us gifts, and we either stay with our plan or we follow his plan. And people that are following his plan are not following this world. It leaves a gravelly taste in your mouth at the end. It doesn't produce life. Only death. You don't need a kingdom except for the one that God's already given you. So if you receive somebody that's been sent, one sent forth, you're receiving Christ. And if you receive Christ, you receive him who sent him, the Father, because it's the Father's plan. There is no other plan. And the Father is the one that had the plan. Same way you've seen it in Chronicles when we just read it. Me and Michael was talking about it, and I was like, wow, where did you get that insight at? And he said, from the Holy Spirit. And I said, yeah, that's the only place where we get an insight like that. But he still wants to speak today. And he still wants to use men like David today. Well, who's David? A man after God's own heart. Isn't that what he instructed his son? Follow God with your whole heart. Have a desire to follow him with your mind. He didn't say be perfect. He didn't say quit sinning. Don't ever chase Bathsheba like I did. He didn't give him those examples. He said, surrender to God and let him change your heart and your mind and your destiny, your eternity. Right? Notice, have you received the Father? That's where we're being delivered back to a good family. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled, agitated in his spirit. And Martyreo, he testified, he gave witness and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. First usage is John the Baptist thrown in prison. One of you will deliver me up to prison. One of you will deliver me up to be arrested. That's what he's saying. Think about it if you're Judas in the room. You have a choice. Think about it long and hard. Listen to me. When we see light, light is right there. He's standing incarnate in front of him and looking at all of them as they're reclined on the ground eating a meal together. And he says, one of you guys is going to betray me. Isn't that amazing? And Judas knows he's the one that's going to betray him or has been making plans. But it's not confirmed yet. It will be here in a moment. But he's troubled in his spirit. The spirit that's leading him. The spirit that's living. he's living by. The spirit that he's given testimony by. The spirit that he washed their feet by. Numa. It's the breath of life. Numa. 
notice 22, then the disciples, his learners, those with him, looked at one another. They're looking all around, and they're perplexed. They're looking all around and they, about whom he spoke. They don't even know who it is. They can't even imagine who it is. Think about that long and hard. Everyone in the room, and the one that they would never choose would be Judas. He's carrying the money bag. He's carrying the purse. He's the treasurer. He's the one they trust in the most. They think he's the most faithful because they let him carry the money. And we all know that money is so important. Listen, it's, it's, it's not the money that God's worried about. He owns all the cattle on a thousand hills. He's worried about the heart. He's agitated about the heart. He always knew that Judas was stealing out of the money bag. He knew everything that Judas did. He knew when he went and made the plan with the Pharisees for 30 pieces of silver. He knew when his heart was sold out to the plan. He knows everything. He's in full control. He's sovereign. And he doesn't let the devil enter his heart and confirm it until after Judas completely rejects him. Up to the last moment. And then he tells him to do it quickly. Watch the text. Look how alive it is. With the living God standing there, he still says no. I got better plans. I'm moving at a different speed. I've got things to do. I'm not going to wait on the Lord and be of good courage. And he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. I, I've got things to do. My career is being destroyed as we wait. God's not moving fast enough. I'm going to have to go out in front of him. Listen to me. This is what happens to us. We get these lies thrown in, and we think we can go build a church. We can build a family. We can do things faster than he's doing it because he's just not moving at the right time. Listen, he's outside of time. We're the ones that are afraid that we might not get what we want in the flesh fast enough. So the devil convinces us to move quicker, to move quickly. Not to wait on the Lord. Not to wait on what he's doing. He's trying to reconcile. See, we would have already wrapped this thing up and put a bow tie on it. They're evil. They just, they just make gay marriage. Lord, he's like, well, it didn't surprise me any. I told you it was going to get worse and worse. I still love those people the same way I love you. My love doesn't change because they keep getting worse. The fact is they keep hardening their heart with their own plans. Are you listening to them and with your plans and following their pattern? Or are you following my pattern and washing feet, serving others, humbling yourself, surrendering Because it's the church that he's taking to be his bride, not the world. He's going to take them to a different throne room. The white throne judgment. And he hates it. It agitates him in his spirit. It's not why he gives his life. He gives it to save, not to destroy. And he hates it. And yet people still keep their plans. And they say, he's not talking to me. Can you see Judas? La, 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 He's not talking to me. That's not me. That's not me making those plans. La, 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 la. I don't hear the word of God. I wasn't there. No, listen. What is he doing? What are we doing? God knows. 
And he spoke it in a little tiny room out loud. And Judas didn't turn back when he could have. It hasn't become the great temptation yet because the devil hasn't entered him. It's getting ready to happen. They're perplexed. Where's it at? It's not even the word perplexed. Let me find it. They are doubting. Listen. Somebody in that upper room is going to lift up his heel against me and they're in there doubting is what the King James says. They're like, oh, they're looking at Jesus and doubting what he's saying. So don't, don't I mean, don't pick on yourself if you go, wow, you mean you're really going to do that, Lord? I just got to wait. They were doubting that somebody in the room was going to betray him because they couldn't imagine it. We're all in the same room together. We know each other. He knows the spirit. He knows your yesterday's decisions and today's decisions and tomorrow's decisions. There's no counsel against his word. And he knows he did not determine it. He did not force it. He did not make it. Judas was not born just to betray God. Everybody has the same choice. He loved the whole world. We all have the same choices to make. They were at a loss mentally. They're standing there in doubt. This is the first usage of this word. So, imagine the scene. The word has just been said. Silence is on. Everybody's looking around. And we're going to see Peter looking at John and nodding at him and saying, ask him, ask him, ask him what he's talking about. You ever do that with your eyes? Watch. 23. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, and it just means the middle of his chest. I don't know if you know, you see some bad paintings that really paint a wrong picture. We're not supposed to even make any images. But they were sitting there all on one side of a table looking out so somebody could paint them. They're all wrapped around this table that has no legs on it, and they're reclining. The food's on the ground or on a little platform. There's, there's no room to put their legs underneath the table because it doesn't exist. They're laying down, leaning on an elbow, eating with the other hand. They're leaning probably on the hand that they wiped their butt with and reaching with the other hand because you only ate with your close friends because of that. They didn't have what we have today, but we seem to always bring it in to a, a picture of what we're doing today. We seem to have somebody paint a picture and then we believe the image instead of the word of God. And that gets transfixed in our mind. And that's why you need to be careful with your veggie tales. You need to be careful with all your cartoons and your paintings and all that stuff that Hollywood is doing and the world is doing because then you begin to believe what you see instead of what you read. And they change it to make it real fruity. And it's fruity, all right, fruit of death. Just be aware. I'm just telling you, buyer beware. Buyer beware. I think the, the biggest thing on my heart right now is that we think that because we're sitting in church that everybody else, our children, and everybody else is going to get it. And we don't have to do nothing about it. We're not called to be a witness of it. 
We're not called to be the next generation passing the torch. Because the church is so busy today worried about building a church, they won't be the church and tell their children and train their children and live for their children and live in a way that they can see a true life that's sold out and that does make mistakes. That's the sad part. That's how the church gets weaker and weaker and weaker. We're just assuming that our kids are going to believe because we take them to church. If that was true, God would have said, take your kids to church instead of train them. If that was true, then we'd all already be Christians that were raised in a Christian home. We wouldn't have needed to do anything else. But it's a each person individually believing and obeying and going. And it's so sad the way the devil has attacked marriage because it's all a picture of marriage. And when we do our own thing, it's the same as the garden. When we follow our own plan, it's the same as a bride rejecting the headship of her husband. The same way that Adam didn't say anything, didn't protect Eve. It's the same thing over and over and over. It doesn't change. That's why we're all confined under sin. We all can do the same things. But with intentionality, we should surrender to the work of the Spirit and go and try to serve God with our whole heart and let him wash our feet. Knowing that we need to be intentional because the enemy is intentional about destroying you, your marriage, your home, your every place, your workplace. He's intentional about it because the whole world's already to sway the wicked one. So we should be intentional about shining our light. And yet the church doesn't, won't, and can't because we're too busy playing. So here is leaning on the bosom, his disciple whom Jesus loved. This is John. He does this about four times now, first time here, because he knew that, that, that Jesus loved him. Do you know Jesus loves you? That's the gospel. But because he loves you, he says, repent. I came to lead you out because you have no way of getting out. I came to become the door. I came to become the sacrifice. I came to become the atonement. I came to become the remission because I love you. But if you don't do it my way, you're not getting out alive. Listen to me. Because we have our own plans. The devil wants us to follow our own plans. Simon Peter therefore gestured to him, nodded to him, motioned to him to ask who it is to whom he spoke. Who are you talking about? We can't tell by just looking in the room. Who is it? Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, John says to him, Lord, who is it? What better way to talk to God? What better way? Well, you know, we were sitting here and, you know, Peter nodded at me and and I thought about it for a while, and I took another piece of the bread, and I drank a little cup, and then I thought, well, should I ask him or should I not? Should I talk with Jesus or not? Should I believe in him? No, he just said, who is it? Think about it. God wants to answer us. He's given us his word. He died for us. He wants to speak to you. He wants you to hear his voice. He wants to answer your questions. I think we're afraid to ask. We're afraid to pray. We're afraid to ask him. And look how simply he says. Jesus answered because he had a question. And it's required that you give an answer to the hope that is within you. 
It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread, a sop, as it is in King James. They take and tear a piece off, sop it into the wine, and then hand it over. It's wet bread, physical bread. When I, when I have dipped it, and having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas, he shall be praised. Is carry it, the son of Simon, son of somebody who heard, right? Hebrew means heard. Uh, chip off the old block or rock or stone is what it means in the Greek. 27, now after the piece of bread, listen, he took it. He didn't repent. Satan entered him. Satanus entered him. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. Listen, this is what Satan always wants you to do. Make the decision quickly. See, we should already have it planned out. We should already have our desires changed. We already know we're going to follow the will of God. What does God say? I'm not buying them quickly. I'm not buying them today. I'm going to pray about it. He says, what you do, do quickly. Get out of here. Go quickly. It's on Jesus' timetable, not on the devil's timetable. Jesus was in full control there. The Satan was not allowed to enter until he took that sop instead of repenting. Listen to me. Because they're going to crucify him on Passover weekend, even though they desired not to. They said, no, 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 don't do it this weekend. Let's wait. But it's his hour. It's his time. They're doing it on God's timetable. Don't do it quickly. Wait on the Lord. Listen, if anybody's telling you to do it quickly, wait on the Lord. Walk circumspectly, redeeming the time, but wait on the Lord. Find out what the will of the Lord is, but don't you don't have to hurry. Oh my goodness, we got to get this done. I got to read this Bible real fast. Let's pray real fast. I think there's a scripture in the Proverbs that says, uh, "Redemption quickly will not last to the end, even or something like that." I just paraphrased it. You can find it. God is outside of time. He's not in a hurry. The devil is inside of time, and he knows he's got to do what he does quickly. He knows he's got to get it done before Jesus wraps it all up. But notice 28, more commentary from the Holy Spirit. No one at the table, and there's not really a table. If you read that, it'll be at the reclining. Uh, the table is... is uh, um, Leaning, that's what it means when you look at it. There's no real table. They put that in there for our Western civilization. New, no one knew. Gnosko, for what reason he said to him, this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box, the purse, that Jesus had said to him, buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. To the needy. They had no idea. No idea that it was Judas. But I think that John did. The grace of God did. Peter did. Chip off the old block. Because they nodded. They asked. They watched. Jesus handed him the thing. They knew. If they understood it. I know it says no one, 
So does that mean that they don't believe Jesus? These two are in, they're looking at each other, going to ask him, and he says, it's the one I give it, then they give it, and they still don't know? Or they won't believe. Help me with it. I don't know. He says no one. So they didn't believe that Jesus gave him a sop and that it was him. This is what his character was. He was the only educated one. That's what they say anyway. He went to Hebrew high. Verse 30. Having received the piece of bread, he went out immediately, and it was night. Nix. Now think about it. He didn't receive who the Father sent, but he received the bread, the physical. He didn't receive the salvation, but he received the silver coin. And I believe that theologically, it's night the rest of his life. He's in darkness because he walked away from the light. It's not just a, a picture of just it being night. He would not receive light, truth. And when you go out, when the God is speaking to you, when he clearly speaks to you, when he clearly offers fellowship, when he clearly says, I'm talking to you, I love you, I died for you, I want to have fellowship with you, and you are still doing your own plan and hardening your heart, and you're going to die. Now, you might not see it right now. Adam and Eve didn't die right then, but there's a spiritual death that happens and God is the one that knows when it's going to be confirmed. And when the devil will enter. And in other words, you'll be continue to do his plan, use for his plan, the same way Pharaoh was. He was possessed by the devil as he went out of the upper room. And the Bible testifies, none of all that you've given me, none was lost except the son of perdition. Judas has carried He chose to keep following his own plan. He chose money over salvation. He chose the world. Even with Jesus handing him the right hand of fellowship, he lifted up his heel and exalted his own pride against the Christ. And really, the sop is a crumb or a morsel. It's, a, it's just a mouthful. Think about that for a moment. We'll take a mouthful down here and give up eternity up there with Jesus. Just for a bite. Esau did it with Jacob for a bowl of soup. His birthright. I am dying. Just give me a bowl of soup. Really? And then, when he wanted to repent, there was no repentance found in him. Hebrews testifies. Even though he cried, there was no more repentance. It was just ungodly sorrow. Worldly sorrow. 
I'm mad that I got caught. And that's what happens with Judas. I know people teach that he could have repented. I don't know that he could have once he was given over. I don't know. People teach that. I don't see it anywhere in the scriptures. The Bible testifies right there with a pretty big exclamation point. He went out and it was dark. It was night. He rejected and betrayed and lifted up his heel against and was given over to the domain of darkness. Now, I do teach that, you know, until you take your last breath, you can repent. But I think you got to be careful with that because there's a time when you're, you're reaping what you've sown. There's a time when you've confirmed your heart, hardened your heart, you've made your own plans, and then God says, I'm going to leave you in your plans. That's why we want to today choose salvation and follow and prepare our hearts to receive with meekness the implanted word for the saving of our souls. But we need to become doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. Yes, he paid for all of our sin. But he also bought us with his precious blood. And he wants to live through us. And we are called to be witnesses. So where are you putting your feet at? Your own plans or are you putting them in the hands of Jesus? What pattern are you following? Culturanity or the pattern that Christ did to humble himself? What seeds are you planting in life today for your kids and for those around you? What is it going to grow up into? Father, thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you for coming down and washing our feet, for washing our souls with your blood and washing our feet with your Holy Spirit and your word, sanctifying and cleansing us with the washing of the water through the word. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for your Holy Spirit to teach us and lead us. Thank you that we can be called your bride. We can be called... Um, children of your kingdom. Thank you for calling us out of darkness, out of the grave, into your marvelous light. Wake us up, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I?